the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, the king of the north will gain control of all the treasures of gold and silver. You may think your IRA is secure. You may think that gold you have here will get you through final days. It won't get you anywhere. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. We are up to a message in the Revelation series entitled, The Oath and the Open Book. That's the oath and the open book, and we do hope that you enjoy it. Remember, it is available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with the first portion of The Oath and the Open Book. Today's Reaching Your Heart. As Jesus was praying, his disciples were lost on the open sea, tossed about by storm and wind. The Gospel of Matthew indicates that they were distressed by waves and a wind that was contrary. You ever had a wind that was contrary in your life? I mean, a wind that blew against you and the direction you wanted, it forced you to go another way. That's what was happening that night. Every one of us has a little distress in life, and there are winds that are contrary. At the fourth watch of night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. The gospel account is clear. And when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they freaked out right there in the boat. They began to have a tizzy. They were in a full-fledged panic attack on the night sea. The Pharisees had taught them that there are ghosts. I mean, this is not a teaching of the Bible. It came in through intertestament corruption of the Greek mythology into the Jewish faith. And so the Pharisees, who believed in the resurrection, they also believed that the dead keep on living after death, so they messed up the Bible's understanding of death. They had taught the disciples that there are ghosts. And so they thought they were seeing one that night. And then they really cried out in fear. It was Halloween suddenly. And then Jesus said what he needed to say at that moment. He said, take heart, it is I have no fear. Peter was a walking, talking contradiction that night. He said, Lord, if it's you. You ever done that? He said, Lord, if it's you. It's really not a good thing to say, Lord, if it's you. It's like saying, I believe, but give me some proof so I can keep on believing, Lord. I mean, the word Lord would presuppose you do believe, right? So don't say, Lord, if, in your statement to Jesus. How many times have you prayed that expression? Lord, if it's you, please help me through this stormy sea of life. Please help me deal with this contrary wind. Lord, if you're really with me, I mean, there's something to be said for eliminating the ifs from our prayers and falling down at Jesus' feet and just saying, Lord, confessing him as Lord. Jesus did what he needed to do when he discovered that Peter had this incomplete kind of faith. Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. I mean, when you're looking at Jesus, when your eyes are fixed on the master of the storm, on, on the man who can walk on water, you know, you don't sink. 
But when you start looking at yourself, when you start looking down, when you focus on the storm, you go down. Matthew 14, 30. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, what happens when you believe? But the storm gets the better end of you in life. What happens when you say, Lord, and you come to church on Sabbath and you say, Lord, but, you, but it doesn't feel like Jesus is Lord in the other days of the week. What happens when you get hit hard by that something that takes your hopes out and you begin to say, Lord, if it is you, and you discover that that's not good enough, what does the Lord do? What does he do when you're sinking because you've looked directly at the storm too much? You've focused on the winds that are contrary. And yes, you let the wind and the storm that is contrary intimidate you. What does Jesus do with the man or woman who walks on water for a while and then begins to sink? What does he do to that kind of person that has bouncy kind of faith? Matthew tells us what he did. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Oh, man of little faith, why do you doubt? I mean, before you can turn around in life, before you are able to respond to the reality of your lapse in faith, we have the picture of a powerful Savior who stands on the water, who catches you so you can turn to God and find him and be renewed by the power of God in your life. Friend, if you're sinking today, if you're feeling the awful weight of circumstances, your future is not exclusively in your hand. Your future is in the hand of a God who can find you and bring you back to him and shepherd you through the storm. I mean, we sometimes put so much confidence in our ability to turn to God that we fail to recognize that we have a shepherd king who is the master of the sea, who walks on water, and who can save us when we have the lull in life. Peter learned that day that the man who walks on the water can save the person who is sinking in the sea. He can save the person who cannot save themselves. And he can save anyone who cries out in the midst of a troubled sea, Lord, save me. Those are magic words for the Savior who walks on water. In Joel 2.32, the prophet Joel confidently predicted that when the end of the world comes, and it is coming, if you think it isn't coming, if you're banking on some new election scheme to give you security, if you're banking on some future retirement strategy that'll lock in your personal security. Get ready for the end of the world because none of this stuff is going to stand. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, the king of the north will gain control of all the treasures of gold and silver. You may think your IRA is secure. You may think that gold you have here will get you through final days. It won't get you anywhere. Friend, we are living in a time when every support that we trust in will be withdrawn. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Joel is very clear, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that person will be saved. I mean, where should we be investing these last days? Is it not the work of God? Is it not the faith of Jesus that deserves our primary focus? The final generation of men and women who will live in a time in which the sea roars, in which the waves of the sea are fierce, Jesus is very clear they can be able to stand the last days. Luke 21, 25. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And upon the earth, distress of nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Now don't tell me we aren't living in a time when people are afraid of the raging sea and the angry waves. It's the case. There is only one hope for people who are afraid of the final storm and the winds that are contrary. The final generation needs to come to the man who walks on water, 
who calls out to the person with little faith. Yes, I said to the person with little faith, but faith nonetheless. The person who is sinking is important to God at the end of time. And the Lord who walks on water will hear the cry, Lord, save me. Now, this figure of Jesus walking on water doesn't begin in the New Testament. Many people think, well, here we see for the first time Jesus walking on water. It actually starts in the Old Testament. In Daniel 10, verse 5, the prophet Daniel saw a vision of a man dressed in linen. It's very clear he was girded with the gold of Euphaz. When you look at the description, he's almost identical to the description of Jesus that is given in Revelation chapter 1. You see, Daniel saw Jesus dressed in linen in Daniel 10, verse 5. Take your Bibles and turn with me, Daniel 10, verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed, what does it say? In linen, whose loins were girded with the gold of Uphaz. The Hebrew says literally, behold, one man clothed in linen. Daniel saw the one man in the vision, not a man, not some man, not somebody. He saw the one man. Have you seen the one man lately in your own personal life? Have you looked at him? Daniel is looking at Jesus, and I can prove that to you. Look at verses 6 and 7. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of, what does it say? Lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sounds of his words like the noise of a multitude. Verse 7, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, the mare, literally, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. Verse 7 is the chiastic center of Daniel 8 to 12. It is the poetic center, and at the center of this vision structure that we find Daniel 8 to 12, we see Jesus We see the one man. On each side is the expression, I alone saw the vision. I alone saw the vision. In the middle of Daniel's loneliness, we find the person of Jesus Christ. It's very clear, a great trembling fell upon them. They fled to hide themselves. It's very similar to the ending of Mark before we have the extra ending that came probably a 100 years later. It was pasted in there, inspired material, but found its way in the Gospel of Mark. Now let's compare the vision of the one man clothed in linen to the vision of the Son of Man in Revelation 1. Revelation 1, 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a Son of Man clothed with a long robe. And what does it say next? With a golden girdle around his breast, just like the gold of Euphaz that we saw before. His head and his hair were as white as wool, white as snow, like Daniel 10. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, again matching Daniel 10, refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In both visions, Daniel and John fell down to the ground because the vision of Jesus is overwhelming to them. Both Daniel and John saw Jesus in vision. Now, Daniel saw the pre-incarnate Christ. John saw the post-incarnate Christ. He saw him glorified, a post-resurrection body. Daniel saw Jesus before he was human. John saw Jesus after he became human and after he had the superhuman body of the resurrection. So the man in linen in Daniel 5 is Jesus, very clearly. So take your pencil out and put it in your Bible. Daniel 10, 5, the one man, Jesus. I mean, have you ever wondered where Christ is at in the Old Testament? Raise your hand if you have. Well, he's right there in Daniel 10.5. That's one of the places we find him there. The man in linen in Daniel 10.5 is Jesus. Now, why is that important to Daniel? Because in this vision, 
He sees Jesus with eyes like flames of fire. And the Hebrew word comes from Mount Sinai when God came down at Sinai. He has burl, the color of burl, which was the tenth stone of the Hebrew breastplate, calling to mind the Ten Commandment law of God. Sometimes that stone was blue in its color, sometimes red. He saw his body as if it were burnished bronze obviously indicating the altar. And when Daniel sees this heavenly protector, this prince, this one man, he realizes that he has the color of his body. It matches the altar of sacrifice. And he realizes that the guardian protector of the Jewish nation that he is beholding will one day become the sacrifice for his sins. And he falls down to the ground, the one man. Daniel the prophet saw Jesus in Daniel twelve five very clearly. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel sees Jesus again. Daniel 12 verse 4, we have the context. He's the man in linen who shows up one more time to swear an oath for God's people that will have its fulfillment at the time of the end. Daniel 12 4, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book. And what does it say in your Bible? Until when? Until the time of the end. Many shall go to and fro and knowledge shall increase. It means knowledge of the book of Daniel would increase. I don't know about you, when Christ makes a promise that the book of Daniel is for the time of the end, and if I'm living the time of the end, to be obedient to God's word, should we not be studying the book of Daniel? Yes or no? Now, it's not the only part of our Bible. I would never say that. At Reaching Hearts, we've preached on the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. We've gone through Matthew. We've gone through Moses, creation, But shouldn't we go through Daniel 2, especially as we are living at the very time before Jesus' return? Absolutely. Now look at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. Now two others means two plus two. In Daniel 10, there are two angels plus Christ. And now we learn in Daniel 12, 5, there are two more. Verse 6. And one said to the man dressed in linen. Now we've identified him in the context. Who is he? That's Christ. So he's talking to Christ. Now, it's very interesting here. The reason the angel's asking Christ a question is because Christ has the answers. I mean, if you want to know truth, who should you go to? Should it not be Jesus? And so the angel asks the man dressed in linen who is above the waters of the river. He says, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? An angel is asking a question about Bible prophecy. Now, in Daniel 10, there are, as I said, there are two angels plus the man in linen. In Daniel 12, 5, there are two others plus the man in linen, which means two plus two is four. That's hard math, isn't it? You know what I like about Bible math is that it doesn't take calculus and a genius mind. I think, what was it, the President of the United States recently said that beyond seventh grade math, he doesn't really want to go there. It's getting so complicated. I'm with the President of the United States. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not one here who can say, well, I can sit down and do advanced algebra. But Bible math works for me. Two plus two is what? Four, okay? So how many angels do we have in the context? Four. And Jesus is the fifth, the man in linen staying on the waters. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. 
Daniel 12, 4 says, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. In the book of Daniel, it's very clear that angels carry words. When you shut up the words, you're really binding the angels for the time of the end. In Daniel 9, 23, an angel comes to Daniel as he's praying. God has sent this angel to him. And it's very clear, he says, from the time that you begin to pray, your supplications began. A word was sent forth, and I have come to you. In other words, the angel carries the word. And then he says very clearly, understand the word and the vision. There is a word, angel, vision connection in Daniel 9.23. So God sends an angel with a word from God. And when the angel brings the word of God, the prophet understands the vision. That's how it works. So if you shut up the words and you seal the book to the time of the end... You're really waiting for the hour, the day, the month, and the year when God will loose the angels so the word of God delivered by angels will be freed so people can understand the Bible, they can understand the unsealed book of Daniel, and they can be ready for the coming of Christ. I mean, so to loose the angels and the words would be a good thing. In the sixth trumpet, the prophecy was fulfilled when the hour, the day, the month, and the year, in the Greek, the hour, which is the day, which is the month, which is the year, came to its end in 1798 when the four angels were loosed. It was the end of the 1260-year prophecy. It was God's answer to the locust scourge of the fifth trumpet that blotted out the son of God's word at the Council of Trent. I mean, it's an amazing thing to think that right there in the 1540s, the leaders of the Christian church got together and their answer to the Reformation was to say no more Bible. They shut down the word of God. They rejected the teaching of sola scriptura. They said the tradition, the church stands over scripture. And then they took the beautiful teaching that came from scripture, Christ our righteousness. And they boldly proclaimed that Christ is not all of our righteousness, that as we grow, our growth contributes to our righteousness. Therefore, it's not by faith alone. It's not by grace alone. It's by your good works, which has merit to merit your acceptance in the judgment day, that you're justified, which means you can never really be accepted until you're good enough, until you're perfect enough to be accepted. Friend, this was a dark teaching that hit the Christian church. In the fifth trumpet, it blotted out the sun, representing God's word, his law. It darkened the air, which is the air that angels fly. Heavenly truth was not easily disseminated after the counter-reformation. And it was a dark era in the history of the Christian church. And so it looked like faith had faltered. And so when God releases these four angels, it is to compensate for and to redirect the attention of his people back to the word of God at the end of time. Revelation 9, 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Now, who stands at the golden altar? Remember? Christ was given incense at the altar for what? For the golden altar before God. Who's our great intercessor? It's Jesus. So the voice that comes from the four horns of the golden altar is the voice of Jesus. And look what he says in verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. In the fifth trumpet, the devil looses the locust upon the earth. And it darkens the sun. It, it inhibits the word of God. It prevents people from seeing the truth. The air that angels fly in is obscured. So the three and four, the angels of God will not interact with end time events at that time. 
And so what does Jesus do? He says, it's time to loose the four angels to deal with the problem of the locusts. It's time to loose the four angels to give the word of God back to the world. It's time for the mess of the Middle Ages to come to an end and for Bible truth and for God's word to go to the world to bring the end. Verse 15, so the four angels were released who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of mankind. In Daniel 12, 4, the angels said the words were shut up until the time of the end. In fact, in Daniel 12, verse 8, in the Greek Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew Bible, in the oldest Greek Septuagint manuscript called P967, the literal Greek reads, when will these words be loosed? It understood that the phrase in Hebrew, ma'acharit elah, what after these, could be translated in its context, when will these words, meaning angels, be loosed? And so in the sixth trumpet, the hour, the day, the month, and the year comes for these powerful policemen of God, the four angels with God's messages for the world to bring down an end-time Babylonian system. They're loosed at the great river. And at that time, the time of the end, the book of Daniel will be open too. So there are two events closely connected in Bible prophecy. First, the release of the four angels, where God's words that are shut up are loosed. And number two, the unsealing of the book of Daniel at the time of the end. Two events closely connected. So in Daniel 12, two of the four angels are standing on each side of the man in linen who's standing on the top of the waters. And one of them asks him a question because he knows the future. Because he knows that this one's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. They ask the man in the middle of the waters, who's standing on the waters, for a time prophecy. You know when the book of Daniel will be unsealed. Let's look at Daniel 12, 5, and 6. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing. One on this bank of the river, and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? The man in linen is Jesus standing on the water. He has two angels on each side because he is the Shekinah glory of God that stands between the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. This is Ark of the Covenant imagery. One angel here, one angel there, and a man dressed in linen on the waters. When Christ was raised from the dead, there were two angels. In the Greek, one facing his feet, pros. We get the word prostrate. You fall towards something. One facing his head, pros in the Greek, the preposition as well, means one towards his feet, one towards his head, and Christ was in the middle. That means Christ was the Shekinah glory of God. The Ark of the Covenant was in that tomb. When Jesus ascended to heaven, there were two men dressed in white that lingered with the disciples, telling them that Jesus will come in the same way he went. And so it's not unusual to see the two on each side and Jesus in the middle. Sometimes we see four when a larger view is in mind. So here we see Jesus in Daniel 12 standing on the water and an angel asks the man in linen the question, how long? How long to the end of these wonders when the book of Daniel will be unsealed and the words that angels carry will be loosed, how long? In Daniel 11.31, the prophet Daniel describes the abomination of desolation being set up in the Middle Ages. Now how do we know that? It's really what we call basic common sense Bible study. If you look in Daniel 11.32, it says the prince of the covenant is broken. That's the death of Jesus on the cross. You look in Daniel 11.40, it says the time of the end. If you look in Daniel 11.31, which is about halfway from verse 22 to verse 40. Now, think about that. The cross was like 
31 AD, based on Daniel, it's 31 AD. The time of the end, we will learn, is 1798. So somewhere in the middle will be when? Would it be like some future uh, antichrist phase at the very end, or would it be the Middle Ages? It's between the cross and the time of the end. We have verse 31. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the abomination of desolation that Daniel's talking about is set up in the Middle Ages between the death of the Messiah in Daniel 11.22 and the time of the end in Daniel 11.40. And so here we find the prophet Daniel describing the abomination of desolation being set up in the Middle Ages by the armies of the Eastern Roman Empire. He just says, armies shall appear, shall profane the sanctuary fortress. Armies from the east came to the west, took over the Christian church. He describes the persecutions of the Middle Ages. They set up a church-state system called the abomination of desolation. And he clearly teaches that God's church went into captivity, just like Daniel and his friends when Nebuchadnezzar came and captured them. In fact, if you go to Daniel chapter 1, you remember when Nebuchadnezzar came, he besieged Jerusalem, he took Daniel captive, right? And what were the name of his friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after he took him captive, he goes on to say he brought them to Babylon and he set up a table for them in Babylon of the daily portion of the king's food that would defile them. The same thing happened in the Middle Ages. Something was set up, a table was set up that was an abomination before God that defied the truth of the apostolic gospel that taught men and women that Jesus' death was insufficient that taught them that Christ had to die again and again and again, that denied the teaching of Hebrews that by a single sacrifice he has perfected for all time those who come to God through him. Thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. That is the first portion of The Oath and the Open Book. Remember, if you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and look at the broadcast calendar there, and you'll find this message available. Again, reachingyourheart.com. Thank you for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.